0: beautiful people welcome to god is gray the podcast although i as a christian believe that god resides in absolute truth in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at XO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Today we're talking to Jaina Wan. She is a 21-year-old product design student at Otis, born and raised in Los Angeles. Hello, Jaina. Hi. (laughs) Um, First and foremost, I'm getting over being sick, so please excuse My voice is, like, barely coming out. Jaina um, and I met at my dear friend's party, John Pina and Johnny Saba. We're both having a mm-hmm. birthday. So Johnny Saba is wonderful, and he was pumping up God is Gray and really embarrassing me and making me tell everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But thank God, because Jaina was there, and her and I started really connecting over a shared history in the Christian church. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, I got more and more fascinated because she's had a lot of similar experiences and a lot of dissimilar experiences, but all tied to the same place. So we just wanted to share a conversation between her and I that I thought might help some of you feel more comfortable in your own skin. And... um. Yeah, just address some of the problematic things we've both faced in Mm -hmm. church. So, hello. Hi. (laughs) We're sitting on my bed right now. Just chilling. Okay, so I think the first thing that was really interesting that you said was that you went through a long period of time. I think you and I probably still feel that a lot of innate characteristics of ourselves are sinful. Yeah. Yeah. Like expand on that. Um,
1: From a very young age, I have known that I am also attracted to women as well as men. But I was taught that that was a sin. And because I am bisexual, I was able to be very straight passing for a majority of my life. But as a young girl, I would. I was very homophobic because of my own insecurities and I would shame close people to me for them seeming like they would be lesbians and then I would go home at night and like cry about it in my bed because I was like well that's also me and there's nothing I can do about it because these thoughts aren't going away and I'm going to hell
0: okay so let's unpack this for a second i'm curious what it is because i am very straight Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes i can't believe how straight i am because i think women are beautiful but i know (laughs) i'm like how lucky to just be christian and straight like lucky me um so i'm wondering what same-sex attraction feels like or looks like at what age are we talking how are you first noticing this um it i I was so
1: little like I just was I just always found women to be so beautiful and I would you know I feel like sometimes when you're little like your friend has like a hot dad and you're like oh my god he's a really beautiful man <laughs> like I would love to grow up and like have a husband like that I would like feel that way about my friends moms and like I would like be like that's the craziest thought in the world like I I would be so sh- ashamed of it and I would even like Try to put it out of my mind when I was awake, but then when I'd fall asleep, I'd have, like, dreams where I was fully living out my, like, curiosity of what it would be like to be with a woman. I would even, I had, um, at a really young age, I forget what it's called when you dream as the other gender. And I don't know. Um, so a lot of my trans friends have had had dreams when they were younger where they would see themselves or like they would go about the world with the genitalia that they feel like they should have been born with and I would have dreams where I had a penis and I would like pee or like just be walking around naked I never like had sex with people with my dream penis but like <laughs> <laughs> um I feel like too young to even know what yeah it was about. I was mean, too young yeah. but like Um, I I had a conversation with my friend Jane and she was like, oh, I had that when I was little. That means that you might be questioning whether or not you're a man or a woman. And I don't think that that's what it was. I think that it was that I was trying to make my bisexual thoughts straight as somebody like who.
0: Oh, so like a loophole of getting around it. Like if I was a boy, if I had a penis, this wouldn't be a bad thing to think. Yeah. And as an aside, I'm curious because I feel like Christians will easily say, oh, well, did you not have a mother figure in your life? Were you lacking that? Is that what the attraction was?
1: Um, My mom and I had a very, very strained relationship when I was really little. Both my parents, actually, they they went through a divorce when I was five. And I was put in the middle of it, and I felt like I didn't have either of them to really talk to. I had um, a nanny and my dad's assistant that were very active in my life. And I had a lot of women in my life that I could talk to, like my friends' moms too. Um, But I've never asked myself that question. I feel like I didn't really have
0: strong relationships with either of them until I was older. Okay. Because I think a lot of people blame same-sex attraction on either abuse or something that's lacking in life versus just having... An innately born, you know, predisposition yeah. to something.
1: Nothing happened to me uh, before I had these thoughts. Like, <laughs> yeah, there okay. were definitely some things that happened in life that, like, I could be like, oh, well, that would be a reason. But it that was later on, as I was older. Like, you know, the, f- the fights with my mom that were actually, like, personal and not just, like, her fighting with my dad and me seeing it. Yeah. That... Yeah, no, that was definitely something that I feel I was born with and um, tried really hard to control, but had to discover that there was nothing I could do to make myself completely straight.
0: Okay, so then back to you feeling homophobic. I mean, I think that's also an incredibly common thing. How many senators that are anti-gay, you know, legislation type of people get caught having gay sex in their office. It's like thou doth protest too much kind of yeah. vibe, you know.
1: Yeah. Um I would like I remember being little and I would regurgitate what my parents, not my not my parents. I have to say that a lot of this came from being raised in my mother's h- household. My dad wasn't really around as much, so when I was little, because he lived in another house. But I would regurgitate what she would say, and I remember being like five or six years old and telling my peers that they were going to hell and that I would pray for them. And they remember that to this day, (laughs) and I will run into people from when I was little, like I ran into this girl from kindergarten at the bar that I work at. Uh And she was telling me these stories about myself and all this stuff I would say to her. And it was so embarrassing, but it was definitely apparent in the conversation that I had changed. I was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lighter person now. I don't get
0: that vibe from you anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would really say that to other children. I would like if like not even just because they would say things that might be a little gay, but because they were Jewish or right. of another religion, I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, you need Jesus.
0: So, And I think of something that a lot of secular people have a hard time wrapping their heads around, because I am keep advocating for us trying to understand each other better. Mm-hmm. And I would like for secular people to understand that in a very perverse way it is out of love like for a five-year-old with a pure heart to come telling kids you're like going to hell isn't because you were some bigoted
1: jerk
0: at five years old it's because you were so innocent and pure you were like oh my god I'm going to heaven you guys are going to hell let me help you yeah and all you do when you get older is solidify that more and more into your character and then when you're an adult you can hurt people more because then that translates to how you vote and how you hire people and how you treat people. Yes. But the basis of it is always this weird love of wanting people to get saved. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely acknowledge that more now than when I was a teenager. Like, I was so mad at my mom every time she would tell me she was praying for me or tell me that I needed to go to my Bible, to ask for answers to whatever was happening in my life, because I felt like she was judging me.
0: I mean, that's always a passive-aggressive argument to have with a parent, for someone to be like, I'm praying for you. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, (laughs) she's
1: like, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm saved, and I would really like my daughters to come with me, and I would be like, really, Mom? Like, can you? But I know now that, like, her intentions are out of love, and when we have conversations now where that's brought up, I'm just like, thank you. You know. Oh, that's sweet. And I accept it. I don't try to bring up topics where I'm gonna get heated. <laughs> yeah. I just acknowledge the fact that like in if she's coming from a place of love and then that's where it's ending and there's no follow up of judgment, um, then we are absolutely good.
0: Okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so you have one like childhood friend in particular that you were particularly hard on finding her like wearing Batman costumes at Halloween and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you were having such a personal relationship with someone that you feared was gay or would become gay or whatever. Like how did that affect your interpersonal relationship or even to now? Um, it was, I remember when
1: she was little, she would pee in the boys bathroom and she would like, play with boys in the playground and do all this boy stuff and I was like okay well if she's doing boy stuff then she's definitely a lesbian and I was feeling like I might have been somewhere in that spectrum so I was really mean and I really shamed her and then she's younger than me um when she came out I just felt like she was so brave and it made me feel like I could do it too or just be open about it. I didn't necessarily have to announce it to everyone in my life, but, like, it really made me feel guilty about all the stuff I had put her through. Um, and it made me admire her for her bravery because it's something we both experienced, being shamed in that way without people necessarily
0: directing it towards us because they didn't know. And she just took the leap of faith. And... We're being intentionally vague because it's not necessarily Jaina's story to tell. But um, this is also somebody that grew up in the church mm-hmm. and you're feeling like there's maybe still a lack of comfortability with actually getting to act out on that. Oh, because yes. in the Christian churches, I've noticed a shift, actually, because when I was really active in my early 20s and teens and stuff, it was just being gay as a sin hate the sin love the sinner which is so infuriating to me because it has the word hate in it which Mm -hmm. I don't think Christians should ever be professing um now there seems to be this new wave of like okay no you can be a lesbian you can be gay you just can never act upon that physically and christians are getting really comfortable and sort of self-righteous about sitting in this new position and being like no no look at us we're totally accepting just don't be sexual with it so i wonder if she's taken that on and not and trying to be asexual basically or abstain yes actually she
1: kind of backtracked pretty recently into saying that she's
0: asexual. I was saying she's asexual. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Because Um. everyone kept asking about, you know, if she was going to start seeing someone. And um, in her situation, the people in her life um, aren't all accepting. So it would be the end of certain relationships for her. And I think that that might be a reason why she was like, I'm just going to cut it out, because Mm -hmm. that is actually the position that people in our community um, take, that you can be gay, you just have to not act on it and try your hardest to be in a straight relationship. What's interesting to me, though, about that position is that most people that say that, like, have premarital sex yeah and it just seems a little bit hypocritical to decide which sin is less intense or less serious just because it's a straight one it just seems a little
0: i think the tragedy too is that it's the one quote-unquote sin Mm -hmm. that um you can be ostracized for you know like Jesus never mentions homosexuality not once. He mentions divorce. So in my opinion, we if Christians are going to picket gay marriage, they should be twice as hard picketing divorce cuz that's also a legal thing and that is one thing that was mentioned. Like imagine if you got ostracized from your church, from your community if you were just in a bad relationship and chose to get divorced. Like this goes back to what you were talking about. Where you and your mom kind of hit a stalemate all the time of like, wait, are people choosing to be gay? Really? Because Mm -hmm. if the like punishment for that is losing certain friends, losing family, having people look at you in a certain way, you know, who would actually choose that? Exactly. I don't think anyone would choose to
1: lose their family members and live a harder life where there's that comes with so much judgment and so many obstacles when they could just be straight and be exactly what society wants them to be and that was always something that I questioned at a very young age and I never got real answers to or Mm -hmm. had real conversations where I was acknowledged and where there was respect in my answers from my superiors and so it kind of was one of the first things that made me start doubting the way I was practicing Christianity.
0: Well, the tragedy to that, too, is for me, I'm just a very sexual person. So my, you know, thing that I was going through was, if I want to have sex, I have to abandon God and my spirituality. And if I want to have God and my spirituality, I have to abandon sex. So you have to Sex to me, you're like sexual, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health should all be working in this beautiful circle. They Mm -hmm. should all be completely aligned and edifying each other. But when we're asked to completely separate ourselves from a fundamental part of ourselves, then it's like you're always going to be lacking in one area. So my heart goes out to your friend because, sure, she's choosing asexuality as you would call it or you know more so abstinence but then that means she's rejecting that part of herself to choose family and friends but it's like how can you choose which is harder to lose Mm -hmm. I actually have not informed
1: my parents or my friends that I grew up with in the church that I am bisexual They, I just figured if I started seeing a woman then that would be when I would explain it so I don't Currently know. seeing a man. Yes. Yeah. But I think, which I think it was really brave of her to reveal that part of herself. Totally. As a first step.
0: Yeah. Um, I love to dive more into how actually active you were in the church. To just so you guys listening know, this isn't coming from any point of ignorance. We were both very, very immersed in this culture, mm-hmm. and. Um, Jaina went through a lot with modesty that is different from me because I don't think anyone looked at me as a sexual being because I was so naive and I developed very slowly. Mm-hmm. So I watched other girls get told not to sway their hips so much and to wear T-shirts at the pool, but I was never the recipient the recipient of that because I was like a toothpick. <laughs> but you have a different I was experience. like a
1: toothpick too, but I just... So dang this. sexy. <laughs> no, I just had this like, well, okay. I I a little backstory. I grew up in the same church starting from the age of one and a half till I was uh, like a preteen, like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. Around the same people. So my friends were the people who had children at the same time as my mom's kids. Most of them were boys. And it was fine that we hung out and had playdates and went on trips to Six Flags together. And then the second everyone started hitting puberty, it was inappropriate for me to still have relationships with people I considered basically family.
0: That's crazy.
1: And um, my mom didn't think it was weird. Their moms didn't think it was weird. But once we entered the church, the elders would have meetings about how inappropriate my relationships were with My friends, Um, I got really into fashion at a young age. It didn't look right at first, but I once I started like experimenting with how I was gonna style myself, I would, I would always wear like these different skirts with um, cowboy boots, or I went through like a booty shorts phase because I grew up in the valley, and that was a thing that you just—it's like a passage you have to go through, like learning if you're comfortable
0: with that which I definitely wasn't but yeah and I think teen girls too you just like experiment because when you're sexually naive which is what church elders Mm -hmm. are completely taking out of the equation it's like you're not talking about this girl that's leading your community astray it's like a girl that is developing a brand new body and boys and you're just mess like you're just trying to figure it out cuz yeah. i remember i used to wear like a low cut top and booty shorts and i was like ooh i don't like all these looks so you start like calibrating like the attention you actually want to mm-hmm. get i realized i was cold most of the time if i dressed like <laughs> that and so there that you. was if they had just let me
1: be for a second and let me realize that like i'm not comfortable like that i think i dress more modestly now i mean i'm sometimes Not so much, but I feel I'm always wearing, like, big, baggy, flowy pants. And there used to be this rule. If you can see uh, down it, up it, or through it, you can't wear it in any way. That was, like, our little mantra. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, no, I remember my last straw with – this was actually, I think, one of the last times I ever went to church, specifically there, was I – there was this woman in the young women's division of our church, and she came up to me and told me that the elders actually had a meeting that was completely about me. A bunch of Creeping. very old white men all met in a room talking about how sexual it was for me to wear the combination of skirts and boots that I was wearing. And that it's um, just a room full of perverts. Yeah. No
0: women in the room?
1: No women in the room. Um, I hadn't even gotten my period yet. I had never kissed a boy. All of the boys that they were saying I was tempting could not have been more grossed out by the idea of being with me. Like, they were literally like my brothers. Mm -hmm. Everything was innocent. And they turned that into something that wasn't innocent. Like, I never questioned it until it was brought up to me. And she was like, you are no longer allowed to wear that combination of shoe and skirt again to church. No more skirts that are above your knee, even if it's right above, because I wasn't even, like, pushing it. It was, like, right above my knee. Um, The fact that, like, my boots were tall and, like, I don't know, just to her or to them, it was just sexual, and I was horrified because it wasn't private either. It was in front of people, other adults. Yeah, and I was, I remember my friend's, He told me that his mom said that I was one of the the girls he shouldn't be friends with because everyone in the church thought that I was um, bad or like sleazy or something because of the way that I dressed, and that all happened in the same day, and I was like, I literally got all this stuff from Target. Like this is I didn't go to Forever Twenty One or you know Victoria's Secret or like stores that weren't marketed towards young girls. Like it was literally the, the teen section of target and I was shopping with my mom and she helped me pick it out and I went into the car and I told my mom what happened and I wanted her so badly to just get out of the car and
0: kick some ass (laughs) yeah
1: and be like how dare you look at my daughter that way yeah but she didn't she just respected the fact that I wouldn't ever come back after that point which interesting yeah, I wanted her to go throw some hands and like be yeah. like, don't look at my daughter that way because that is what I would do.
0: Yeah, because how are you supposed to walk with your head held high knowing that these men are leering at you in such a way when mm-hmm. you're not... I mean, I could go on forever. You know I made a modesty video mm-hmm. because you you know, watched it beforehand, but the kind of rape culture that passes down, I already... I have a friend that was raped in a church that I went to, and she was the girl wearing the t-shirt at the pool and everything. And she was just told time and time and time again, you're causing men to stumble, you can't wear that, you're being too sexy, everyone is stumbling around you. And by the time you know a 15 year old girl is in a situation where she's having her virginity taken away by one of those men, that is someone that she trusted. It's like, how is she supposed to process that it's not her fault? She's been the one that's been blamed the entire time. Meanwhile, I never heard a sermon that was like, hey, we're all equals. You're not supposed to be leering at each other sexually in this building ever. You know, this is a place of Mm -hmm. worship and spirituality. You're supposed to be, if anything, disembodying each other and just uniting spiritually yeah what you're wearing shouldn't like no one should give a damn about what anyone is wearing or what anyone looks like and the focus on that has been so detrimental and it's caused rape and it's caused abuse I mean I spent like 14 years in
1: that same church and I I can't even count how many times there were lessons about us girls Being modest, not tempting people, um, not being sexually active, specifically the girls. And I never once heard even just the sentence, hi, guys, don't rape girls. Like, that's not okay. No. Like, no. (laughs) I never, I feel like that was never a message that was taught to the men in my church. And it's not that they were, like, raping girls, but, like, acknowledging that you as a man can hurt a woman and that you have a choice to be respectful or not. That wasn't even brought up. No, there was no.
0: Well, it's the opposite. The rhetoric is um, if you cause someone to sin and they take this from I forget what Bible verse it is, but basically it would be better for you to tie a noose around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean than to cause a child to like sin or cause a child harm. And somehow they pervert that to mean like if you cause other people to sin, you'd be better off. Just killing herself, I guess. But the way that translates in the modesty conversations is hey, you may have gotten raped, you may have gotten leered at, but like, you know, look at what you did. And it's just insane. Yeah, that is something that definitely resonated with me
1: deeply. And I always felt like when I would, I didn't learn how to drive till I was like 19. So I take the bus everywhere and walk around Hollywood and go shopping on Melrose but if I was walking anywhere and a man said anything to me that was like perverted I would feel ashamed or like just walk away mm-hmm. whereas now I feel more comfortable unless they look like they're unstable like sticking up for myself and being like why would you speak to me that way like and I mean it also comes with the territory of working at a the door of a bar mm-hmm. being a little bit more outspoken but like I just feel like before I was like, this is this is my fault. But now that I mean, if I can segue into the fact that I'm now a practicing Buddhist. Yeah. Um what I was taught in the Christian church was that my body was a tool for sin and that everything that made me the woman that I am, that I liked or that was pleasurable was a sin. Now like that I'm a practicing Buddhist, I am taught that We kind of like uplift women. They are the creators of life and everything about our bodies is sacred and beautiful and there is nothing that we should be ashamed of that makes us us. We have these like days out of the month where all the men in in the... I I don't want to call it a church because it's not a church, but I'm part of SGI, which is like a Nichiren Buddhist organization. And all the men make this event where all the women come and we just get, they open the doors for us and they bring us the food and they clean up everything afterwards and it's just all about appreciating the mothers of the world.
0: Mm.
1: And that's something that I never had in the Christian church. It was never like, you are this queen mother of the earth. It was always like, you have no power, listen to the man of your life. Mm. I remember when I was uh, at my friend's house, her, mu- she wanted to be a doctor really badly. And her mom just got so frustrated in front of me and was like, you're not going to be a doctor. You'll have no time to be a wife and a mother. And that's not what the Bible tells us to do. We don't put our careers first. You put to- you need to be fruitful and yeah. bear children and listen to your husband. And she, I saw her later on in life. She did not ever go to med school. She did that. No. And, um, I'm very, very – the one thing that I'm so thankful for that I have – my dad always raised me to not think that way, to believe that, like, whatever I did and put my all into, I would succeed at and that I could love a career just as much as being a wife or a mother one
0: day. Thank God. God bless that man. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my dad's awesome.
0: Well, I think bringing up your dad and then your experience in the Buddhist church with these men – for one, I think that's so beautiful. And also, I love men. And I feel just heartbroken that they've been, you guys, if any of you boys are listening, um, just disempowered by biblical teachings. And like, I think, you know, nothing that I've noticed in my personal relationships brings a man more joy than to feel that I am respecting him or that he is like, offering me something that's edifying my life or raising me up like when you have that dynamic between male and female regardless of roles like who's driving the car and who's cooking dinner you're just like seamlessly giving back and forth to one another and elevating each other you know I think that men in the Christian faith have been disempowered you know from doing that because of these teachings of women are submitting to their husbands and it's like even in that case, I've talked to girls online who say they're in abusive marriages because they're supposed to submit to their husband sexually as well. And I'm just like, even with that, like if a man's so in his head of, you know, he doesn't even know he hasn't been given the tools to uplift his wife and to see her as his equal to the point that he has to be essentially raping his own wife, or like talking her into it. It's just like, it's so sad to me because it there's is. so much beauty in like not fearing a period and not fearing the power of a woman because the more powerful each party is, the more powerful you are as a couple. And I think that's exactly you know, like God calls the church the bride of Christ. It's Mm -hmm. always been about that flow of masculine and feminine. Yeah. So the fact that the Buddhist principle takes that on, that's why a lot, it's controversial to say, but like, of course I honor so many Buddhist principles because they remind me of Jesus. Like that sounds like something Jesus would do.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I feel like the things in Buddhism that feel like the things in the Bible that I was taught, that were just, like, unconditionally loving are the things that I was attracted to in Buddhism at first. Just about the period thing. I have never been with a man who has been disgusted by a period or shamed me for it or who hasn't thought of a woman as, like, very powerful, which I'm really thankful for. I think I was really, like...
0: Good, you must have made good choices with men.
1: I think I was just really turned off by any of my male friends ever having that attitude and it just made me feel like they weren't actually men
0: no they're not it's amateur hour if any of you guys listening are scared of a period you're an amateur yeah (laughs) you need to like get on the boat and just yeah yeah no it's
1: like the most unattractive thing and I actually have a really good friend named Alana and she and I always say that we want to have sons one day because we want to raise like really respectful good men and create more of that energy in the world Mm -hmm. and we both love men because they're when you're a really good man it's really amazing because there aren't a lot of those out there in the world and i feel like it's
0: it's really possible no matter what you believe like well i think they haven't been given permission to be good you know they've kind of lost as a generalization i think a lot of men have lost their sense of what they're supposed to be doing because the more powerful and independent women have become, it I think a lot of them are like, well, where do I fit in this equation? Mm-hmm. Especially if they have a religious upbringing that's making them scared of their own sexuality. I know men that have like slept with friends of mine and then asked if they were a bad afterwards. So it's just like carrying the weight of that. They're of course they're not gonna be able to embrace a period or to respect you to the utmost yeah. when they're dealing with their own incredible guilt and shame themselves
1: yeah well I I've seen that in a lot of cases of the men that I've grown up with I do have an amazing friend who defies that completely I grew up in the church uh-huh. with him his name's Tyler and he treats his wife like a beautiful queen and I feel like he just embraces everything that she is as a woman and they have two kids together and I feel like as much as there are problems with what we're talking about, there's I would like to just say that I think there's a beautiful way to go about being a Christian man and that like it's just been a little bit tainted, but there are definitely some cases that I've seen with my
0: own eyes of people like Well, what have you seen? What's a healthy Christian relationship look like? Um, I just well,
1: okay, so they both They're both practicing Christians and they they got married and they have two kids together and they make all their decisions as a couple and they, you know, they'll go out together and have fun and have their friends and make sure that they're still, they make sure that they're still friends and that they still have a relationship between the two of them that is like based in respect and um, they both work. I like that. Like, I have other friends that are married that don't allow their wives to work because they need to stay at home and be with the kids. Um, it's definitely a decision that they both be with their children as much as possible, but that they both work and have passions. Yeah. And I think that f- for me, that is a beautiful, successful marriage. I think it's going to last forever. And I think that they're amazing
0: yeah i mean i think people that get tied up in the letter of the law like you're reading the ancient texts we're all desperately trying to Mm -hmm. interpret that we'll never be capable of interpreting because you know if you believe it's divine it's like of course your human mind's not going to wrap yourself around it but if you're going by the book yes women are lesser citizens we're not supposed to be working we're supposed to be popping out babies all the time whereas why can't you just be two people that love Jesus, that love going to church together, Mm -hmm. that also happen to have an amazing, you know, balanced, respectful relationship?
1: Yeah, and I think a key part of that is that they're friends and they respect each other. And I don't see that a lot with my Mm -hmm. friends who are young like me, who got married very young and have kids. A lot of the decisions come from the husband. Like it always has to be his. They always need his permission to there do. It must be things. a lot of
0: pressure too, for mm-hmm. a guy. You know, like why do you even want to make all the decisions all the time? I, I.
1: You would think I see a lot of them super excited to be in that position of being able to control, and they probably feel disempowered in other areas of their life then. Yeah, and then um, so some of the women I know are super excited to be submitting that way.
0: Okay, well, if it works for you, respect. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of gender roles that I think are very sexy. Like, I think the most sexy I feel is when I, like, roast a chicken and put it down on the table for a mm-hmm. man that I love. Like, that is a sexy feeling to me. But, you know, I wouldn't want to do that at the expense of not being allowed to have a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh,
1: no. I, I have never known for sure if I'm ever going to get married uh, or if I'm going to have children. But I have always 100% known that I was going to be a designer and that I was going to be in love with my job. And that is the path I'm on. But I I would never give that up, which was always really hard for me to know in my heart as a child and to be told.
0: You're not going to be able to have that.
1: Yeah, that yeah. like it's up to my husband if I'll be able to do that. And I remember I was so upset when I got my period. And one of the women at church was like, No, God decided you're allowed to be a mom now. And I was like, what?
0: "What the? I'm 14. No. What kind of crazy thing is that? And then her and her
1: daughter were like, yay. And they were like jumping up and down. They were like, we're so happy for you. And I feel like they almost like cried too because they were like,
0: wow, she's going to bear children now. By the way, I don't think God decided. I think it's biology and you got your period.
1: Yeah. I was like excuse me I didn't even decide if I wanted to have children why are we all celebrating my children right now like they were literally like woo and I was like no 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 I'm I'm physically uncomfortable and I'm scared and like there should be and no one was listening to what I was saying everyone was just like clapping and like they got all the girls to like come into the bathroom it was the most bizarre experience of my life getting my period was it was so,
0: it was so <laughs> strange. It was so public. and I was like just, handmade Tale moment or something.
1: It really, oh, that show scares me because... Because it's so real. It, yeah, no, for me, like, a little part of that was my reality. Like, every time I went somewhere where I wasn't allowed to leave because I was taken to, like, a church camp or, like, event or something.
0: So this reminds me of your camp experiences. You said you went to a Christian camp that was essentially... Just a propaganda opportunity for this website called abort73.com.
1: Yeah, so actually it was, we had um, a youth division summer and winter camp. And I think, yeah, and it was definitely winter camp that I went and they introduced Abort 73. Everyone had these sweaters, they were not cheap, and they were trying to get us to all buy them and teach us about how abortion was murder. and um, How old are you? Oh, I think this was the same camp where I got my period. I was like 14, 13 or 14. Um, All my friends there were boys and I was not allowed to speak to them. So I had no friends at this camp. And then everyone was just like super happy that I was bleeding and it was super weird. And then this guy came up.
0: Wait, you weren't allowed to talk to the boys? No, because I That's more handmade stuff.
1: Yeah, no, like if I went over, like I was like called away and like they were sent away from me. It was so, it was so weird and dramatic. They at one point took my phone and checked my text messages to see if I was texting any of them. Yeah, and then um, this guy came and he explained uh, that life starts at conception and... um, that what they do is they stop women from going into abortion clinics and they teach them that they're essentially going to become murderers and it sounded horrible to me and it was also expensive to contribute to it. It was just like trying to get all these kids to give their allowance to this cause and not really telling them that women sometimes go there because they have been raped and they don't want to keep the baby or that they can't afford to have a baby because they're because of their living condition it was just like these promiscuous women had sex before marriage and now they want to be murderers and you don't want them to kill babies do you do you like babies are babies cute like they were literally like showing us pictures of babies and i was were like they also showing
0: you pictures of dead babies yes yeah
1: and they were showing us every stage of the fetus I'm being like, look, this is life and I was like, wow, I just got my period and this is so intense and I hate this all and I'm cold.
0: And yeah, so that was that was I mean that's this is a whole other conversation because it's so nuanced for me, incredibly, incredibly so. And that's the problem with the Christian conversation to me. That's why this is called God is Grey, because when you present something that complicated as black and white uh-huh. It's going to be a disaster every time. You can't scream and scare people out of the reality of how you get in that situation. And there's a million and one ways that you get to an abortion clinic in the first place. Exactly. And I didn't know that.
1: No, why why would you? When they taught me that, I was like, that's horrible. Like, what if they were like, what if your mom just decided to kill you? And I was like, oh, my God, what if my mom did that? And then... You know, I grew up and I learned a little bit about the situations women could be in. And actually, right now, I didn't really know where I stood. I didn't really have a lot of conversations with people about abortion because part of me, as much as I have learned different points of view, um, a lot of Christian values are still kind of deeply rooted in my head. And I've kind of always asked myself, do I believe that it is murder? And what... I was telling you earlier is that I'm seeing someone now who is a different type of Buddhist than I am. He's Tibetan Buddhist and um, he believes that life does happen at conception and that every life uh, deserves to live. So I'm not even allowed to spray ants or kill flies. Mm -hmm. They have to find their way out of whatever room we're in, even if they're making a bunch of noise (laughs) because he values every life. And I feel like i really respected the way that he told me about that
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um where in a way he made me feel a little bit less crazy about feeling the same way because i feel like when you have conversations with people where you bring up maybe a christian value and you don't really know where you stand with christianity they're always trying to tell you that being a Christian is crazy or that those values are crazy. And sometimes they're not, they're just what you, what you feel in your heart. And what I feel in my heart is that, um, that I do value life and that it is, it does start at conception and that, um, like you said, every situation is different. So I can never judge somebody for the choices that they make because they might have their reasons to do so. But if, I'm put in that position, and if I'm not in a scary situation or in a situation where I'm not at risk, I don't think that for me it would be as easy of a switch to just decide.
0: Well, I love that you're saying that because I think that's another huge part of the conversation that's a mess where you have to, where you feel like you have to abandon one or the other. Like, you don't have to be fully on the left and you know, if you're liberal, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to all of a sudden be like, abortions for everyone and I don't value life. It's like again, the nuance. Like I think it's really valuable to hear, even if you're not a practicing Christian anymore, that yes, you can still have that. And women don't walk into clinics with party hats on, just super excited to be whores that are killing babies, you know, like People are being really thoughtful about Mm -hmm. it, regardless of religion, regardless of background. We're all thinking about it. Nobody is being flippant. Nobody.
1: Yeah, and it's not... And like I said to you before, a lot of these things that I've learned about Tibetan Buddhists are kind of similar in certain ways to Christian values. And that... Yeah, I would love to hear more of those similarities that you've seen. So... What I really liked and what drew me to Buddhism was that I finally got to embrace all the things I wanted and all the things that made me me. And instead of thinking of them as sins, just like fully loving them and being able to, um, I feel like we in the Christian church leave it a lot up to God to make decisions or we, we say we're going to pray for it to happen or we're going to pray for the answers. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I just think we also have to decide within ourselves that we want those things to happen and not sit in self pity. And I think that what I loved about Nichiren Buddhism was that I could sit and kind of like zone out and decide that I had the power to open my heart to positive outcomes and to try to make them happen for myself and to actively try to make them happen for myself instead of sitting around and waiting for them to happen to myself, which is something that kind of turned me off to Christianity, watching people in my life just wait for God
0: to do something. And, you know... But that's even biblically sound too. Faith without works, you know, equates to nothing. It's the same thing. But I didn't see that in action from the adults in my life. And so,
1: you know, there's still faith in the Lotus Sutra and Buddhism, but you do need to take action too. And I feel like that was a, that's definitely similar to Christianity. Like what you said, you need to to like work on yourself too. Um, But it was just a different way for me to swallow that philosophy. And um, there are some people in the Nichiren Buddhist community that don't necessarily consider themselves Nietzschean Buddhists, they actually consider themselves Christians. But it's nice for them to sit down and like, like zone out, start chanting with a bunch of other people and just like, think about what they want to fix in their lives and just, you know, manifest that happening. And then maybe they go home and they take that to their Bible and they pray about it or...
0: Well, and why should Christians not fear that because I think we are all mostly raised to believe that anyone that doesn't believe Jesus is Lord and savior is someone to fear and their principles are something that could lead us astray or ruin our lives in some way. So like what advice would you have for a Christian that did want to, you know, start acknowledging some of this messaging as well? So, um, one thing that has always stuck in my head was like, the sin
1: of worshiping a false idol like yeah. that exact line has always been something i've been super afraid of doing and one thing that i love about the type of buddhist that i pra- buddhism that i practice is that i really don't feel like i'm worshiping anything i'm just like following a philosophy like it's so much more philosophical than it is spiritual or religious to me Um, It might not be how other people feel. I just, for myself, I feel like it's just like telling yourself that you're capable of being positive and then your actions in other people's lives will positively affect them if you remain positive and then they will positively affect other people. Mm -hmm. And this chain reaction of just a small bit of, of peacefulness and happiness in the world is like all you really have the power to do as a single human being. I think that that is what kind of made me not scared of it because I'm not sitting around and worshiping anything. I sit down and we have a scroll called a Gohansen and it's supposed to be a reflection of yourself and it's just a focal point for you so that when you're like chanting that you like in Japanese you chant that you believe that you have the power within yourself to positively affect other people and through that achieve world peace eventually, you know, one person at a time. I'm not worshiping that thing or praying to it. I'm just looking it's supposed to be a mirror, a reflection of myself. I'm looking myself in the eye, being like, You need to you need to be a better person, or you need to be a more driven person, or you need to focus on your stuff and not stop making excuses
0: for why you're not getting this done. Um I mean, thank you so much for that clarity. I think that would be really helpful for people to understand. Mm-hmm. When you consider Buddhism as a philosophy, then it really, you know, they say this in Christian church, too, like, just take the meat and leave the, you know, bone or whatever it is, but, like, take from that philosophy what resonates with you, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it it sounds like when you're looking in the mirror, obviously, that mirror back at you can still be your walk with Jesus and the way yeah. you're living. Because I think that I'm going to interview my friend Lucy Mae Sunday, mm-hmm. Sunday, who's also a Buddhist, um, about death and mourning mm-hmm. in the Buddhist philosophy. Because I noticed when I was going through a divorce and I was really, really broken hearted. I was very afraid still, like you said, of worshiping false idols and allowing witchcraft. I thought everything outside of Christianity was witchcraft. I was terrified to like hear any other philosophies, but intrigued as well. I'm just like, this person's beautiful. They're living a beautiful life that looks very Christ-like. Like Like, Mm -hmm. how far off can their philosophies be? But in this particular case, I was crying and I just kept praying for the pain to go away and kind of waiting for the pain to go away. And Lucy came over and gave me this Buddhist book about mourning and it changed my life in that moment because it gave me permission to have a moment of mourning, which again is biblically, you know, sound. You're supposed to not revel in pain, not use it as an excuse to be a bad person or to keep, you know, putting that pain on other people, but take a moment to be like, I am in excruciating pain, and I just need to be here right now and feel it through and through instead of pushing it away. So that's when I started to really realize there are Buddhist principles that are completely aligned with Christianity, mm-hmm. but they're just spun in a way that are so much easier to understand yeah. and then apply to my own faith as a Christian.
1: Yeah. I actually, when I was little, my dad had a Buddha, and my mom would, I would go to his house... Um, every other weekend and I told my mom that he had a Buddha and she told me that that was a false idol and I broke the Buddha oh, yeah. when I was little because I was so scared of it
0: <laughs> you're such a good girl <laughs> Yeah, I did everything <laughs> she told me to um,
1: but um, going back to death I actually had seven people in the past year and a half of in my life and my family pass away wow. and accepting the fact that I needed to feel all of that is what got me through it. I pushed it down because of what you were saying, that we were taught to not sit and, like, mourn and use that as an excuse. I wouldn't even allow myself to cry at first, and I would have to, like, really sit in front of my set and be like, you need to cry. And I would just, like, allow myself to just, like, sit in my room or be by myself, and I would feel it, and I would talk to people about it. And that's something that, like... I didn't really see in, in my church, like people would pass away and then we would have to move on so fast. Yeah. I remember like funerals were so unreal. These little girls died in my church and, or actually I think it was just one. She, her, it was so tragic. Her grandmother like backed up over her on accident or something. And she was really, really little. And I was so traumatized, like knowing a tiny, cute little girl that, Died, and um, after a week, no one would talk about it anymore. Mm. And her family was expected to come back and just be like, "I love the Lord. Let's do this, and still keep working." Yeah. And I was like, "Is that what I'm supposed to do?" And so I tried really hard, actually, like for the first couple of deaths, to like hold myself up like that, because in my family we didn't talk about that, um, and I was ignoring everybody who I practice Buddhism with and eventually I had a lot of had to make a lot of changes to my process of mourning and I had to allow myself to feel it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all of that said, I'm really curious because I feel like a lot of people I know leave the church and do profess to hate God, and then if you if I talk to them a little longer, they're like, "Well, I don't hate God. I just like hate everything that it represents and everything that came down on me for it." But with you having such a pure faith, like, how do you perceive Jesus now? Do you believe he died for your sins and rose again, or do you have to also, kind of, leave that in your process?
1: Um, when I first left, I was very angry, and I felt a part of me felt like everyone was like, finally, she never belonged here. And, you know, I was so mad. And I was like, I hate God. I hate the church. Being a Christian is crazy. Um, I was around a bunch of atheists that also thought Christian people were crazy. Christian people are represented as crazy on all media. So I was just like rolling with this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually through finding Buddhism, that I had to be completely honest with myself and acknowledge the fact that I don't hate God and that I don't know all the answers to my relationship with him right now. I do, I do believe that Jesus died for our sins. I don't know. I feel like so much of the stories that are told in the Bible, I, I just don't know if they're all... Like, not true, but, like, I feel like there's, like, chunks left out and there's information left out so that it can be just, like, this perfect story for us. Like, I know that this sounds really weird, but I just feel like Jesus was, like, a very, uh, like, he was, like, a famous, attractive man there's no way Jesus was a virgin. There's no way Jesus, like, never had a girlfriend or a groupie. And I'm just like, okay, so <laughs> okay. there's, you know, I feel like there's things about the Bible where I'm like, that doesn't, there's a little more. And I know that that's not the point of the Bible, but there's just these little things that I'm
0: like, okay, I have to get
1: over that before I.
0: Well, there's no first person writing from not one single woman, like a firsthand account. There's stories about women so you're like, if women were even permitted to write and read, like who knows what kind of contribution Mary Magdalene would have had. Oh, my God, how I would have loved to hear a yeah, story that from so cool. Jesus' mother, Mary. Like how dope would that woman have been? Like I would love to hear her account. But like, yes, those things have been censored from us. And um, it's funny because the point about Jesus, I know it's very controversial to say, but I find it very hard to believe as well that God came to manifest himself in human form and didn't experience any sexuality in that human form because it is so fundamental to a person. But in that, like, not to call her out, but my mom was like, well, no, he wouldn't have because he was perfect and he was without sin. And I was like, yes, but you only believe sexuality is innately a sin, Because of what we've been told, we've just been told that the purest version of a person is a person that's never had sex. Like, Jesus having sex, if he did, would have been the most pure spiritual experience as it was meant to be, from what I believe. It's not like he would be going around, like, slaying groupies, but, like, I think he would do it, you know, probably in a loving relationship, probably with Mary Magdalene, and I'm not making any claims, I'm just saying... It is wild that we equate perfection with asexuality. And there's also a possibility he was asexual. Maybe that wasn't a part of his journey. But then there's, you know, people that think
1: it's not really okay to be asexual because we're supposed to be fruitful and be in a straight marriage, you know? So we're perfect if we're asexual, until we find our straight partner and then
0: make children. I know. It's a disaster. I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. There's such a disparate obsession with sexuality over all the other beautiful tenets of faith that we can be focusing on. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get people... I want to talk a lot about sex just to get people to stop obsessing about it. Yeah. I
1: think that if what I took from... A lot of the times when I was in church, I would tune everyone else out. I wouldn't want to even, like, have conversations with anyone because I felt like they were so – their minds had, like, horse blinders on them. And I would, like, read the Bible myself and, like, read whatever they would give us, like, these other lessons that if you just interpreted them yourselves, were all about just loving each other. Yeah. And that's all that – Love that's in the Bible um, is what still resonates with me and is why I still have a relationship with God because that learning on my own and having a relationship with the Bible on my own and, you know, my own journey outside of my church, that was pure and that was what I feel like Christianity should have been.
0: With. It's a beautiful point to bring up. I've, I've said that before. Like, if I was given the Bible and told to read it, I would have never gleaned sexual shame. I would have never thought I wasn't allowed to masturbate. No. I would have thought I'm supposed to preserve a relationship when I get married and I shouldn't, you know, I should honor life and not have an abortion like I think I would have gotten yeah. those things, but I wouldn't have been ashamed and I wouldn't even think I was supposed to save myself for marriage. Yeah. I think I would have just read the parables and thought it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, there's so many beautiful Like just it's like there's like poetry in the Bible. There's all these life lessons and stories that you can take away from it. But all that people see are the passages about passing judgment on other people. And then they make a decision about whether they agree with it or not. And then that's where you stand. And it's just black and white. But it's really not that simple. And there's so much more to it. I mean, I was in I don't know if you know what a wana is. Do you know what that is? Uh Uh-uh. There's this little brown bear with a little blue vest, and um, I think when you're little—oh, no, Awana is the whole program. When you're little, you're a cubby, so then you're the bear, Uh and you get this vest, and you memorize Bible verses, and they give you pins, and you can put these little gemstones in your pins for every Bible verse you memorize, and then— once you reach a certain age, you turn into a sparky and you are a bug of some kind and then you get bigger pins and you memorize longer verses. <laughs> and so I think that's where I learned the most on my own about the Bible because I had to memorize these verses and in my free in my own time outside of being in church, I would reflect on it on my own. And that was I feel like that's my relationship with God.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that.
1: Yeah, it was really fun too. There were games. I feel like that's the way that Christianity should be presented to children is like it's fun. You get to you know, read the Bible and develop your own relationship with God and you, know, you can talk about it, but the innocent people should be talking about it with the innocent people and discovering how they feel about it instead of having their parents tell them their opinions and then having them regurgitate it to each other.
0: Amen. Yeah. Amen, amen. Um, Last note, speaking of nuance and just being full of love, you are creating shoes specifically for trans people.
1: Well, not specifically because I feel like as a designer, it's crucial for me to not try to capitalize on the struggles of people who I'm not of a community that I'm not a part of. So my shoes are not for trans people. They are just available to everyone. So bigger size, I'm making leather boots. So bigger sizes for women and smaller sizes for men or, um, what shoes would be put in that category. So like heeled boots, bigger sizes and then like, you know, dress shoes, smaller sizes. Um, because, I feel that it was really frustrating when I had a bunch of girlfriends that had bigger feet than me. I would like send them links to where I bought my shoes. And they're like, this only goes up to a nine and a half or a 10. And now that our world is expanding and people being able to come out as who they really are, um, women's feet are not as small as in average as they used to be. So it's just, I think, more than morally wrong. It's... A little bit fiscally irresponsible, I feel like to just completely cut out a huge group of women because even my mom, she's like a, she said she's a ten. I feel like she's a ten and a half. I feel like she just is not <laughs> Just one. shoving it in, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would
0: probably do the same thing. Yeah,
1: because I mean, my the women in my family's feet grow half the size with every child they bear. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, and I feel like part of this is because I'm like preparing for that for if I do have children, my feet will grow. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to. Say that, like part of me i I feel very passionate about this. This is definitely what I want to do for my senior project. I might be writing my thesis on it. Um, I just feel a little bit of fear of kind of announcing this to my world because I am somebody who still loves the people I grew up with in my church mm. and still has a connection with like my family who still really believes in all of those Christian values that I don't necessarily still connect with. Um, and I don't, I realize that when you make such a bold step in this direction, as somebody who grew up Christian, there's going to be all this conversation about what I'm promoting, you know, that I'm supporting. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, It's just, I don't even want to have to do that or acknowledge it, but I also feel like it's kind of my duty as somebody who, like, has this relationship with God and has this relationship with people in the trans community, and then has a design, like, as a designer, I need to kind of pave the way and be like, this isn't me supporting anything because I can't decide. I didn't make these people, it wasn't up to me for them to be who they are I'm just making shoes and I want to make sure that everyone can buy them and there doesn't have to be this like all this anger and hate behind it but I am a little bit worried about how it will be taken in by the people in my life
0: rightfully so I mean yeah by the time this airs I will have put out my first video about the LGBTQ community and I really don't know what to expect but that is a huge part of it I've had dreams of like satan at the foot of my bed and like thanking me for bringing souls to him and stuff because you're just like this stuff is really hard to get rid of when you're Mm -hmm. indoctrinated to believe something in my waking life fyi when i am like in the middle of nature praying to god i know exactly what i'm doing i feel like a peace wash over me i feel like i had a whole bottle of wine it's like At night, that's when like tormentative thoughts come in. That I'm like, what if I'm sinning? What if I'm like leading people astray? So I know the struggle of being like, just standing up to say, I'm not even saying I am one of you, I'm just saying, there is a need that needs to be filled mm-hmm. with you. It's like a tangible thing. People, you know, are being forgotten in their, in their shoe wear and their fashion. And like, well, yeah, I think, OK, what
1: I say is that I think as a designer, I try to like visually represent who I am as a brand. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people do that now, too. They With social media and, like, everyone is a brand right now. And everyone should be able to visually represent themselves however they want to. Whether it's important to them or not, you could totally decide not to do that. I don't think it's the most important thing in the world. I just think that, like, people want to more than they ever have right now. And they want to show it off more. Um, I think that everyone should have that option they, in every way that they can. You know, there shouldn't be, you can only have this option if you are within the average. It should be everybody that's designed for. And um, I think that the trans community is oftentimes only designed for in like a niche way. And I just want to make something that's just like a good leather boot, like just a Chelsea boot that's in the woman's shoe section that goes up to like a
0: size 14 or 15, you yeah, know? That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think the more people don't feel alienated and ostracized, the easier we can make someone's journey for them, the better. And, you know, even if you still want to believe it's a sin, like, fine. Just mm-hmm. fine. You know, like, yeah. do whatever, you believe whatever you want. However, none of us as Christians, as Buddhists, should be making anyone else's journey through life, especially their spiritual journey. Like, there should be no barriers between us and them and us, like, Giving them love and giving them positive messages of acceptance. It doesn't mean you have to accept their lifestyle, even though I do. But, like, if you can't bring yourself to feel morally okay with that, the very least you can do is be okay with you, you know, designing something that makes their lives easier. Yeah. Or me just acknowledging the validity of their existence. Yeah.
1: I just – I think that, like you said, all – everything should be done out of love. And I feel like that's something that we forget is at the root of every religion is that it's just loving each other through our journeys. And you don't necessarily have to, you don't have to give me, you don't have to invest in my brand to make shoes that are available to trans people. You don't even have to be friends with
0: trans people, but you don't have to project. You should. That would be very helpful. Yeah. I (laughs) mean, those relationships change people's lives.
1: They do. And it would definitely educate you, but there should be no projection of hate or a or trying to stop those steps from being taken if exactly. they're not doing anything to personally affect you you mm-hmm. can still buy my shoes i'm not going to not make them in a size 6 or 7 i'm just also going to make them in larger and smaller sizes because i think it's totally necessary and it's easy and i want my all my accessories to be marketed towards everyone who is forgotten about because we're a little bit scared to represent them in media right now, so...
0: I love it. Do you have any social media you wouldn't mind people reaching out to you on, or...? um Yeah, so
1: I am on Instagram, and it's at jayna1, and it is J-A-Y-N-A-W-O-N, and I have... um. I don't have a lot of my designs up there yet, but I am trying to turn it more into a brand Instagram. I'm not very successfully doing that. It's mostly (laughs) my tattoos and, like, pictures of me, but I will. No, that's
0: okay. That's amazing. Um,
1: But I am definitely down to have conversations with people about this. I think that I lost my faith for a while, and I think it's really important to who I am, and it's okay for me to prioritize it and to stay connected to both my christian roots and my newfound buddhism. So
0: I love it. Yeah, so if she has resonated in particular with any of you, she just gave an open door to communicate with her, which I really appreciate. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, that's less work for me. I'm like please. Yeah. Also write her. I'm getting a lot so messages. much. I'm down to just <laughs> that's to, perfect. Yeah, that's I just great. talk to anyone about it. Amazing. All right, well, this has been another episode of God is Gray, the podcast. We love you guys. and um, God, Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. God bless.